Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. podcast available free as always apple podcasts or at podcast one got a great one for you this week as usual all of the interviews you hear on the eddie trunk podcast originate and come from my daily rock talk show on sirius xm volume channel 106 hope you join me for trunk nation live monday through friday 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time with the replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. The interview that I bring you this week comes from a couple of weeks ago when I was in Los Angeles for Sirius XM and I had Phil X in the studio. Phil X these days best known as the lead guitarist and replacement for Richie Sambora in Bon Jovi. How did he get that gig? How did he end up in that position? What was he doing before? We'll find out all with Phil X of Bon Jovi coming up in just a couple minutes. Also, Phil has a new band that's really killer called The Drills that he just launched some new music with on the side of Bon Jovi. So we'll get into my conversation with Phil X very, very shortly. But first, let me tell you about True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. The ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. The luxury package you got after a big promotion or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. Now, while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. All you got to do is go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation and moonroof, bump up your value. How would it not? I mean, navigation, moonroof, great features, right? Get a little more money. High mileage. You already knew that was going to cost you a few bucks, right? But now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can then take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. 
True cash offers are not available in all areas. Okay, so Phil X, great guitar player, great singer, Canadian dude, uh, was living in Vegas, was living in L.A. Now he's was in Vegas. Now he's going back to L.A. Uh, he, of course, played in Triumph for a brief time. This guy actually replaced Rick Emmett in Triumph at one point and made a record with them, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, he is uh, featured in the movie Hired Gun, if you've seen that, talking about all these session musicians that do all this work as hired guns. And Phil made a very nice career doing that. And a number of years ago, found himself as the emergency guy in Bon Jovi, meaning when Richie Sambora was struggling and having some issues with sobriety and actually missed a show, there was actually a show Bon Jovi played without a lead guitar player. Uh, that was kind of the last straw. Phil was brought in as a temporary replacement for Sambora and then brought back in a permanent role as he has been. He also made his first contribution to a Bon Jovi studio record with his uh, recordings on This House Is Not For Sale, that band's last record. These days, Bon Jovi don't work quite as aggressively as they once did in terms of touring. The schedule is a little lighter, so it affords Phil the opportunity to do some stuff on the side. And he has a trio called The Drills, where he's the lead singer and the lead guitar player in that band. I got to know Phil a few years ago. It was probably around the time of the Hired Gun movie, actually, that uh, Phil was first, that Phil and I first met. And he told me about that great documentary, which you can see on Netflix. I went and checked it out, really enjoyed it. Jason Hook, another Canadian dude from Five Finger Death Punch, was involved in making that film as well and uh, was a producer on it. So it was good to get a chance to meet Phil. And, uh, you know, look, we, we see so many times and places and ways that bands leave, uh, have members leave that you would think are irreplaceable and the band continues on and the new members are often embraced. I don't think anybody in their right mind would tell you they wouldn't love to see Richie Sambora, such a huge part of Bon Jovi, back in that band. That is more than understandable. But in Phil X, John Bon Jovi has found a talented player and a very reliable player, which is exactly what he wants at this point in his life. So Phil continues to have that gig. He even shared the stage with Sambora during the recent Bon Jovi Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony about a year ago. So we talk about all of that. We talk about his brief stint in Triumph. We talk about his hired gun work. And we also talk a little bit about the brand new music he has just released with the drills. As I was saying, I go to LA now once a month. I do my Sirius XM show from the rainbow. And I had an extra day there at the brand new studios for Sirius XM. And I had the opportunity to have Phil come in in LA, which is where the interview you're about to hear was done. So as I mentioned earlier, be sure to come on board with me on volume. If you're not already and you're in the U S and Canada and listen to everything that we do on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Volume 106. Little taste of that comes your way each and every Thursday here on, <clears throat> excuse me, here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Real quick, before we get to the interview, want to remind you about some upcoming appearances, and they include Rocklahoma. It's here. I'm coming, folks. Once again, Rocklahoma. 
year number 11, 12, year number 12, prior Oklahoma, Memorial Weekend, May 24, 25, 26. See you out there hosting once again. Looking forward to it. Then I'm back in Tulsa on June 8th to host Lynch Mob, and that is happening at the IDL Ballroom in Tulsa. Go to Stubwire to get your tickets if you're in that area of the country. Come see the great George Lynch. Also, Miramar, Florida, June 15th, Miramar Regional Amphitheater. I'll be there to host Rock in the Park with Lita Ford and Ingve Malmstein and many more. July 19th, Stanhope, New Jersey, the Stanhope House. I'm going out and doing some speaking Q&A shows, and I'll be at the Stanhope House doing that. Little Stump the Trunk, little question and answer, July 19th. I'll be doing it July 26th, Janesville, Wisconsin. At the Back Bar, and also New Bedford, Mass. on September 6th. That'll be happening at the Vault Music Hall. And Exit 111. Don't forget that's happening in Manchester, Tennessee. Huge lineup the weekend of October 11th. Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Leonard Skinner, and more. I'll be hosting that. And the Mega the uh, Mega Cruise, of course, headlined by Megadeth and so many other metal bands. I'll be on four nights of that. And get your information at megacruise.com. And in November, Dominican Republic, Punta Cana, Breathless Spa and Resort, 80s in the sand. Looking forward to seeing you for that as well. So a lot of good stuff going on. As usual, it's all on the homepage of eddytrunk.com. All the appearances are there as they come in and are confirmed. Also, please be sure to follow on Twitter at Eddie Trunk. There's also an Instagram and a fan page on Facebook. Twitter is where I would be the most active be sure to follow. It is greatly appreciated, and it's my best way to keep you up to date with everything going on in my world. Before we talk to Phil X, let me tell you about CBD Lion. The life of a rocker is one of uh, work, hard play, hard work. It takes a lot of toll on your body, and a lot of you have turned to taking CBD. But finding an honest, reputable brand amongst the con artists trying to make a quick buck can be tough. Lucky for you, there is CBD Lion, a company that prides itself on quality and third-party lab testing to show you exactly what you pay for. They have an award-winning vape line with 10 excellent flavors, each having different potential effects, available in disposable vape pen, cartridge, and shatter concentrate. Not into smoking? No problem. Their lotion, gummies, and tinctures are right up your alley. The lotion is great for treating spots in need. Gummies are fantastic for tasty consumption on the go. And their tinctures are the most versatile product they have. It's flavorless, so it doesn't taste like you're eating dirt. And ranges in strengths from 250 all the way up to 5,000 milligrams. Lucky for you guys, all the Eddie Trunk Podcast listeners get 20% off your order. Just go to cbdlion.com and enter coupon code TRUNK at checkout. That's cbdlion.com. What are you waiting for? cbdlion.com. Enter the coupon code TRUNK. It's hard to find a credible quality CBD company. CBDLion.com is where you want to go. Honest, provides third-party tests, great-tasting products, all sorts of stuff to check out. For your CBD needs, CBDLion.com. Be sure to use my last name, Trunk, in checkout. And now let's get to this week's Eddie Trunk podcast interview with Phil X of Bon Jovi. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. 
Hey, if you like my show, you're going to love AJ Benza. Fame is a bitch on Podcast One. Join the gossip columnist as he gives his unfiltered opinions, biggest scandals with his insider perspectives on the lives of who's who in Hollywood and tough guy demeanor. Download new episodes of Fame is a Bitch every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It is Phil X. Good to see you, brother. What's up, man? You uh, you were living in L.A., then you moved to Vegas, and now what's the deal? You back here again? Coming back. You're coming back? Yeah, Vegas did. didn't work for you? It's not for everybody. <laughs> well, it's important for me to know that Yeah. because I love Vegas and I want to move there. Vegas so tell is, me why you didn't Vegas like it. Vegas is great. It's, uh, you know, it's you go out there and there's a couple of reasons business-wise. It's cheaper. Uh, it's way, way cheaper. Way cheaper than living here in oh, L.A., yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, man, I love how my voice sounds on this mic. Brand new mics. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's there's a lot of allergies, man. Oh, really? That's what messed you up? Oh, yeah. Like, what kind even, of allergies? Well, I mean, it's the desert. So, yeah. so you have, it's windy, so it gets, you know, it picks up all the stuff off the ground, and, and then there's uh, plants out there that are, that they don't have here, like... Even when I lived on the East Coast, before I moved to L.A. in 97, I had ragweed agony from mid-August to mid-October. And then I didn't have allergies for 20 years when I moved to L.A. And you know what they got in the desert? What? Desert ragweed. It's oh, even, really? It's worse. It's terrible. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because there are people that I know that have moved to Vegas because of the, 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 the air. Like, the, it helps them. Like, I guess because it's dry or something, they have breathing conditions, and they've actually gone there because it's beneficial to live there for their breathing. So you're right. It's not for some people. It benefits yeah. others. It's probably a nightmare. Well, look but. at it this way. They have this thing at Whole Foods called Vegas Honey that's, that people that have allergies take every morning. Re- Vegas Honey? Yeah. Wow. It's a bottle. It's drops. And it's basically because, you know, uh, it's one of those things. You, you know, sometimes it affects a lot of people. And so, uh, maybe some people are unaffected. Or they acclimate. Maybe over years you acclimate and you don't have it doesn't bother you. But so have you moved back now? You're living in LA again. We're still looking. For, You're still fa- for the house. The house. The house. Ah <laughs> oh, man, you better be working hard, brother, because it's expensive to live it here. It is expensive isn't it? here. But the the cool thing is because of the hockey team and the and the Raiders that are going out there. I already made a lot of money on the house that I bought oh, two years did ago. Did you sell your place in Vegas? We haven't made, sold it yet, but it got. Um, it got appraised for way higher than what I paid. Okay, nice. So, yeah, we're in good shape. Maybe I'll come buy it. I want to live there. I'll give you a deal. <laughs> you just showed your hand that you're going to crank it up on me, though. We got appraised so much. Now you just showed your hand. You're a bad real estate agent, I'm Phil. a terrible real estate agent. <laughs> That's why I play guitar. That's right. You play guitar well, man. And uh, this new stuff with the drills is is absolutely killer. So so let me let me I want to get into your story a little bit with the audience before we talk about the drills. Sure. Canadian dude grew up in where? Toronto? Toronto, Canada. Yeah. What was your first band? Was it the Drills? My first band, the Drills happened in LA. Um the, okay. my first band was like this is it was Sidonex, which is my last name backwards. So Is I, that how you say your last name? I know no, I know how, how you say s- it backwards. What Sidonex? So oh. it's Exenides. So your your full last name is pronounced Exenides. Yes, correct. What, what is that? Greek. Greek. Okay. Yeah. So you you, you said it backwards for your Sidonex. Yeah. Kind of like that. It's kind of neat, right? It's Sidonex. Yeah. It's it's easier to pronounce than Exenides. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so that's were you doing covers, originals? What were you doing? Well, we put out somebody just you know Facebook is amazing because your history haunts you. You know, and this guy was like, "Hey, remember this record you made when you were like 18, in in a, a small town north of Kitchener, Ontario?" And uh, and I I remember when you think about it, you can make a record anywhere today, but when I was 18. <laughs> Nobody had a home studio. Right. You had to go into a studio and record a two-inch tape, and it was expensive, and you borrowed money from your parents and grandparents to do it. So um, now I listen to it, I'm like, wow, I wish, you know, the guitar wasn't that great a sound. But we didn't know what we were doing, right, you know? Right, right, Yeah. So you, you, you do, that's where it all gets started for you. I mean, growing up in that area of Canada, what, yeah. were, what were the big bands that made an impact on you as a kid that made you want to play? Oh, it was it wasn't Canadian bands. There was a couple, but I mean, it was you know we're so close to the forty ninth parallel. It was like right, Van but I mean, Halen, whatever. What, right, DC, I mean, I'm Black sure all Sabbath. that stuff was yeah. big there, right? But there are yeah. bands that made big impacts in Canada oh, that didn't make an impact in America. Right, there was a lot of bands, um, like you know Max Webster, right, uh, which is Kim Mitchell. Right, right. Those are artists that are like pretty yeah. much not known in the U.S. Exactly, they they just couldn't cross the border, right? Or even like. Before Bare Naked Ladies had a hit here, they were trying to tour down here, and they took all the money that they were making in uh, in Canada and like basically just throwing it out the window when they came down to tour here. Yeah, or then you get a, a band like uh, Tragically Hip. Exactly. Huge. Like they, they're they like gods in Canada, right? Yeah, and in exactly. America, never, you know, never, never got there. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so for you, though, it was... It was the usual, the Van Halens of the world, and the, all that had the same impact there for you. Well, I'm I'm an old guy, so I saw the Women and Children First tour in 1980 at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. That was. I think I saw Fair Warning was probably my first. So you're probably the same age as me. I'm 54. Yeah, man, I'm 53. You look good, dude. <laughs> Likewise, dude. <laughs> Thank you. We're well preserved, right? <laughs> Rock so, and roll keeps you young. I believe that, or at least I tell myself that. <laughs> well, I think it does. Um, I I feel like uh, I saw Women Children First. And was that, that your first concert ever? No, Cheap Trick was my first concert in in like a big arena. Uh huh. Um, and then it was Van Halen, but I saw I, I saw Women Children First, uh, Fair Warning, Diver Down. And 1984. And then, you know, when you had to pick, you know, I saw 5150 tour with Sammy, and then I saw the Eat Him and Smile tour with Vi and Sheehan and Bissonette with Dave, and that was pretty awesome. Well, what was the driver that made you want to pick up the guitar? What, what was the, what, was there a moment? It was a moment. It was, uh, it was, um, my dad wanted me to play guitar because he played bazooki. I grew up with uh, a lot of Greek music being played in the household. And, uh, you know, he played bazooki, and I think he wanted a rhythm guitar player. So. What is bazooki? Bazooki is a Greek instrument. If you took, like, uh, a mandolin, which is four paired strings, so eight strings, and then put it, make the neck really long, almost like a guitar, but a little more like a broomstick. And, and that's a bazooki. With an egg-shaped body with a round back. Oh, wow. Oh, that, okay. oh that's what that's called. Okay, if you go to a Greek restaurant, yeah. sometimes now you got a guy playing a bazooki in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you play one? I can. Yeah. In fact, I adapted, I kind of drew, like, when you play a bazooki, you need to be, there's an articulation. There's no distortion. So there's no room for error. Like, if, you sound, if you're a sloppy player, you sound terrible on a bazooki. So I took a lot of that articulate picking and, and applied it to my guitar playing in my teens. Wow. So when we were learning Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and learning how to solo and all that stuff, all my friends was like, dude, 
what's going on with your picking? I go, I've been playing bazooki. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell is that? Wow. So it gave me an edge. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah. But I was, cool. we were all learning the Van Halen stuff, learning how to tap and learning how to, you know, play fast and stuff. And it was an amazing, amazing time. Um, there was also Uli John Roth from, the, you know, the original Scorpions guy in, in the mid-70s who he, he was the first guy to bring classical and flamenco influences to rock guitar playing and he was a huge influence too and which is awesome because i met him last september and then played some shows with him in japan in january you you went you were as like a support act no in his band oh you were in it like a guest oh really yeah wow yeah that's pretty cool i mean uli is uli's one of those guys that unfortunately never because scorpions got big after he left the band in the yeah. u.s but never got the recognition he should have in America, but he, he is a guy that has had a massive influence on so many players. Everybody. Kirk Hammett, I mean, will tell you how much he loves Uli John Roth. I There's mean, more guys that don't mention him, like yeah. Eddie. <laughs> like, yeah. I hear Uli licks in, in Eddie's solos and stuff, because yeah. I'm a geek that way. I love Eddie Van Halen. So I go... And then when you start listening to Uli Roth, you go, hey, man, that lick in Sales of Sharon is the end lick in Ice Cream Man <laughs> solo. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, and you're right. It's There are those guys that, that had these huge influences on other guitar players but never had the commercial success. Yeah. And he, but he still comes around. He still tours. He yeah. actually just came through touring and still plays brilliantly. And, and we had a blast because Rudolf Schenker came out and did two, two of the three shows, too, as a guest. So he played... A few songs, and I played a few songs, and we played a few songs together. And it was—I got a picture of me standing between Uli Roth and and uh, sorry, and Rudolf Schenker, and I'm singing "Catch Your Train" from oh, wow. the, from the seventh seventy six. Wow! So yeah, it was did you get awesome. to solo with him? Like, did, did. you guys trade off and stuff? I did. I did. You did. That's yeah. awesome, man. And it was a crazy week because I and I'm in Japan jamming. No, no, well, sorry. The first time I met Uli was in Germany. So I'm in Germany jamming with Uli Roth, and then I fly to the Bahamas and jam with Billy Gibbons. That was a great week. That's a week. That's, <laughs> you're having a good week there, Phil. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. So you get all this. Your parents were obviously supportive of you being yeah. a musician then. If your dad was one, he wanted you. That's that's yeah. kind of that's kind of really counter to what you really hear from musicians. Like they had to maybe sell their parents on it, but your dad wanted this to happen for yeah, you. Yeah, like, I mean, we were a modest family living in downtown Toronto in a two-bedroom apartment. It was a pretty big family, too. But when I was five, I asked for an electric guitar, and I got one for Christmas. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, that's supportive. Self-taught? Did you uh, teach most, yourself? I taught myself a lot. I took a couple of lessons. I didn't like the lessons, which is the reason nobody likes lessons, because you're learning, like, twinkle, twinkle, little star, and you want to learn how to rock. Right. But uh, the, the the moment was Elvis Presley. Me, My dad loved Elvis, so we watched a lot of Elvis movies together. And then when I was eight, I had a set. I could play and sing Blue Suede Shoes and Teddy Bear. And uh, we were at a big fat Greek wedding, and my dad's like, hey, you want to get up and play? The band's taking a break. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. There's a lot of people here, you know? And then uh, he talked me into it. He talked the band into it, and I just went up there and played the two songs. And this is before YouTube. So nobody sees an eight-year-old playing and singing. This, you're watching this in real life, cause, and you've never seen it before. Everybody was like, who the hell is that, and wh how is he doing this? And that, that moment was uh, the the moment for me. It was mm. like, I, I want to do this. And it ruined my life, too, because now I need adoration all the time. <laughs> 
Well, and then from there, you, did you have a lot of local bands? I mean, did you did you develop? You know, where did where do you go from there in your career in terms of in Toronto, or where did you when did you move out of there? Well, it was w- way down the road because in 1990, I was well. Let's go before that. I was in a battle of the bands. You know, everybody does a battle of the bands at yeah. high school when you're in 14. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Gil Moore from Triumph was one of the judges. Uh-huh. And then years down the road, I'm in Triumph for a year and a half. <laughs> Right. Well, that's that's interesting because you actually made a studio record with yes, them, right? Yes, did, yeah. So talk about that experience. Was that was that your first, that was probably the first major thing that you did? That well, people... I, the major, first major tour that I did was Aldo Nova in 1991. 90, 90, but we didn't, he had, he recorded the record with like Kenny Arnoff and Randy Jackson and some studio guys. And then he put a band together. So we were in the band. We did the tour. And but I didn't play on the record. Now wait a minute. That was blood on the bricks. Now that's interesting because that record was put out by Bon Jovi. Jamco. Yeah. Jamco. Yeah. That's an interesting story that I actually kind of am tied into. I know. I think we talked about. I don't know if you even. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you this. John Bon Jovi when he John Bon Jovi had a label called Jamco, which I think I think stood for John Anthony and Matthew Matthew Bon Jovi Jovi Company. Yeah. So Jamco was a, a, a label that John started right around that time, 90, 91. I was coming out of working at Megaforce Records, where I was an A&R guy working there for three, four years, and John contacted me about, he was forming this label, yeah. and he, he said, I want to meet with you a bit and see if you want to come on board. And I went to lunch with him in New York, uh, we met in New York City. There was only one other guy working for him at the time for the label, which was a guy named Steve Pritchett, who unfortunately, I believe, passed away. But we had this lunch, and we were talking, and he said, uh, you know, he's very passionate about starting this label and everything. And, and at that time, he had the Aldo Nova record out, Blood on the Bricks. Yeah. And Aldo, he told me, was touring on a tour where he was basically doing free shows for radio. Like it was a free radio tour. So uh, going into the markets that were playing the record and doing a free concert that night yeah. for them. Hemorrhaging money. Hemorrhaging money. <laughs> so so he was telling me this, and he also had just put out a record by Billy Falcon. Yes. Called Pretty Pretty Blue World, I believe. Wow. You so had a good memory. Yeah. So he we had this great conversation and he said you know I, I want you to come on board if, if you're interested and this is what i want you to do and it was it was it was it was a it was a nice offer and you know he threw a, a number at me f- for what you know for at the you know which if i'm being honest didn't blow me out of the water because i was coming out of a job that i already had that was making like comparable money and it was right. like you know it's like i don't know and i was also managing a band at the time that i felt really they didn't go anywhere but i felt really passionate about this band making it and i really felt they had the i still felt that that they could have made it but it was the wrong time for them yeah and john was like well we got to figure out something with that band you're managing you know i want to come in on that or maybe you sign so we were we had this whole dialogue about it but at that same time if people know that history of bon jovi uh john was struggling greatly with his own band because yeah. they had just come off of ridiculous amount of touring and success, and there were tensions and there was weirdness, and he didn't even know this is just be- this is before they made Keep the Faith. He did not know if Bon Jovi the band was going to continue. Right. And I remember how my story ends in all this, 
is we have a nice lunch, and John goes, okay, think about it. Think about what you want to do. He goes, I'm going to go. I think he they went to St. Thomas and had a band meeting, and they decided to go to, like, St. Thomas for, like, a week. And he goes, I'm going to fly to St. Thomas and see and come back, and I'll let you know and see if I still have a band. Right. He said, and if we're going to continue, he goes, but either way, this label's happening. Okay. And uh, he said, if you're, if you're in, you're in. So it's, you know, I'm still at that point in my mid-20s, early 20s. I mean, it's a chance to work with John and, you know, a couple of, of Jersey guys, you know. Yeah. It's like, it'd be awesome. Yeah. And I, but I was really struggling with the uh, decision because, A, I didn't want to give up working with this band I was managing. And B, I just wasn't sure, you know, if I wanted to leave the other things I was doing. I was just conflicted. So I get a call from Steve, who was the the other guy working with John at the time, and he said, don't stress too hard on this decision. I said, why? He goes, because I, I believe the way that deal was set up was that it was distributed through Polygram. Oh, Mercury Polygram. Yeah, Mercury Polygram, right? same company. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, so he <laughs> he had said to me, um, th- whatever losses of the bands John signed and Jamco lost, money lost, whatever losses would come out of Bon Jovi royalties. And he said, now I don't know if that's entirely true, but that was the version of the story I got right. that it was tied to the Bon Jovi catalog. And he said to me, when John comes back from St. Thomas and sees the latest statement on Aldo and the tour and what this is costing, this whole company is going to be folded and there's not going to be a job. And he goes, because I guarantee he's going to shut this thing down. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. A week later, I get a phone call from John. and he You says, were privy to inside information. Oh, yeah. And he's, he says to me, he says, listen, man, he goes, it's great meeting you. Maybe we can figure something else out on the line. But he said, uh, you know, this label thing's killing me. Aldo's out there hemorrhaging money on this free radio tour. The yeah. record's not selling. And he said, I'm going to just, and he goes, the good news is the band's going to come back together. We're going to make a record. That record ended up being Keep the Faith. Awesome. And I said, that's great. I'm happy your band. That's the way it should be. I said, yeah. good luck with the record. Can't wait to hear it. And that was it. Well, that was an interesting time because a lot of people remember Aldo from Life is Just the Fantasy, Fantasy yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So we went on the road and everybody's like, we didn't even know you had a new record out. We just came here to see Fantasy. Um, and the funny thing was, is we, it was, I think all the, all the radio stations that remembered Aldo wanted to support it. So, you know, he'd get like 120 ads in a week, which back then was really good. And then when the second single came out, it was at the same time as Lose Your Illusions, <laughs> Enter Sandman, Ugh. and Van Halen, uh, Pound Cake came out. So totally drowned in that competition there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, I had Aldo on this show less than a year ago. I know. And he was I listened like- to it. <laughs> you heard, yeah, he was ready to go, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to play, and he re-recorded Fantasy and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm I'm honest to a fault, and I'm just like, hey, dude, you know, I, I you know, because he, he had grand plans, and I'm like, I think that's going to be tough for you to do in America. No, no, no. And then I haven't heard from him since, and yeah. it doesn't look like anything happened with it. Are you still in touch with him? We talk like once a year or something like that. Yeah. But- um. I remember, this is what I remember about not only the competition flooding the band in, in the, on radio, but I remember seeing, uh, I was in a hotel room, and you know, this is when we all had the leather, tight leather pants and the long hair down to our waist, and we were going out and rocking every night. 
and I was in a hotel room and I saw Alice in Chains. Game over. On MTV. <laughs> it was Man in the Box. And I'm like, we're done. <laughs> Might as well just pack and go home. You and a million other bands, man. <laughs> I know, but I mean, I think, I think it needed to happen. I think too many bands were sounding the same, writing about the same lyrics or the same topics. Um, I just think it was it was meant to be. It was time for that part of the cycle to end and something new to come along. So, and it was amazing. I loved Nirvana. I loved Soundgarden. I loved Alice in Chains. You know, I thought yeah. it was awesome. Yeah, we're talking with Phil X. Uh, his new band, his new record with his band, The Drills. Now, Triumph, a legendary uh, band from Canada yeah. and a great band, and I always love Triumph. Um, for you, any. Like walking into that situation, I mean, that's a big spotlight, man. Rick yeah. Emmett was the really is Rick Emmett was not only a great player and singer, but he, you know, he's. I mean, Gil sings lead as well, but Rick yeah. Emmett was really the the sort of focus of Triumph, especially live and on the records and stuff. So for you, I mean, any reservations about that? You did you know? Did you feel like you'd catch some blowback? Um, did you catch blowback? Were there people like, you know, how you got to be kidding? Really how, how was their triumph without Rick Emmett? Well, the problem, we only did 11 shows. So we did a record. What at, was the record called again? Edge of Excess. Right. And it was on Victory. So you got Triumph on Victory. <laughs> and it uh, it didn't really take off. In fact, they had a fight with the label. And uh, they just, it did, the record didn't really come out. It made it, maybe a few copies got to the store, got to the stores, but I had a guy come up to me in LA and, uh, I guess he just knew me as Phil. He didn't know I was Phil X. And he goes, uh, Hey man, I'm from Buffalo. What Canadian bands did you play with? I'm like, oh, I was in triumph. And he goes, was that before or after Phil X? <laughs> that was the benchmark, huh? And I'm like, dude, I am Phil X. I am Phil X. <laughs> <laughs> So that was pretty funny. So, so you, so you, um, you did. There was total of eleven live shows for that. Yeah, and one of them was the Rock and Roll. Wait, Q one hundred seven Rock Awards, and we went on and we did like four songs, and uh, Sebastian Bach got up with us and he sang Rock and Roll Machine. That was pretty cool. Um, and that that was it. You know, they they thought uh, it was a. It was politics, you know. They they didn't get along with the record label, and they had a different idea of which 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 should be happening, and and then that was it. And then it went on. And can you sing up high like Rick Emmett? Like when Rick goes. Up? I don't sound like a flute though. <laughs> <laughs> I sound. Um, I I'm I I do like a. I have a plant range. I have an ACDC range. We played I a little clip of a song. You sound you you sound like Sammy Hagar on that. Well, thanks, man. I that's mean, a, that's a compliment. Yeah, no, I know, but seriously. So, but uh, so so that experience with you was was short lived, but it's still pretty cool to say thing. No, well, it I don't. Was. I've never really listened to the record. How's the record? The record's pretty cool. It's rocking. Gil sang all the songs. We went on. On the show that we did, the shows that we did, it wasn't a three piece. Um, I saw the Sporta King, Sporta Kings tour. Is that the previous record? Yeah, that, that was the last record with Rick. And they actually had a fourth guy on stage, and that was Rick Sanders. Right, I remember that. Who's another Canadian artist, an amazing guitar player, and an amazing vocalist. So they brought him in for the shows that we did to sing Rick's songs. Oh, so you didn't sing I, Lay It on the Line and all that stuff? He sang Lay It on the Line. He sang Fight the Good Fight. He sang Magic Power and did an incredible job. I sang stuff like, uh, you know, when Gil wanted a break, you know, he, I sang, a, a, there was a new song on the record called Troublemaker, which was on the 
Hellraiser soundtrack. And then he said, what else do you want to sing? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want me to sing? He goes, why don't you sing I Live for the Weekend? Dude, I bought that record. Progressions of Power. That's I bought that when I was record. in high school. Yeah. So that was pretty amazing. He said, why don't you sing I Live for the Weekend? And I'm like, done. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then we did one big show in um, in uh, San Antonio, and Pat Travers opened up. And I was a huge Pat, Tra- Pat Travers fan when I was a kid, too. So that was pretty neat. Yeah. There's a, there's a uh, documentary being done on Triumph. Did you know that? I did. And I also know that they're, they're working on... Uh, oh, wait. I'm, I'm not supposed to say anything. <laughs> I don't know what I can say anything About the anymore. doc? No, there's a documentary going on, and uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, there's a couple of things in the works. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, good. I mean, I know those guys, and they're yeah. great guys, and I actually reunited all three of them I know. to do this radio show, and I went to Toronto and did it. It was probably about a year and a half ago. It was, it was great. We had a great Didn't time. did you text me? And I texted you. Oh, I, I think said, I did because we sent we like, shared a picture. We yeah, sent, I sent them a picture totally. of you. I do remember that. Yeah. And I was like, kick Gill under the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And because the, the company that's doing that, Banger Films, which does yes. a, great docs, they yeah. contacted me because they want to interview me for the doc. Nice. I think next week even they're talking about doing something. So I know because I I emailed Gill uh, or actually Mike, and I was just like, hey, is this legit? Are you guys cool with this? Because you know sometimes you get re- an approach to do those. Uh, talking head segments and these things, and then you find out the artist doesn't want it happening or they're oh, against it. It's not yeah. a legitimate authorized thing. And Mike was like, no, man, go do it. We're all in on it. Yeah. So well, Metal Works is literally 15 minutes from my mom's house. So I have, every time I go to Toronto, I have coffee at Tim Hortons with Gilmore. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and we just catch up. That's awesome. Yeah, he's they're they're they're. Uh, I've never been to Metalworks, but that's his studio, right? The, Not only is it a, an incredible studio, but it's also a, a technological uh, school for like engineering and production. Oh, and, really? And then they have tons of students. It's like a huge thing now. Wow, very yeah. cool. So, where do you go after the Triumph gig? Um, <clears throat> I uh, started putting some bands together, and they started doing. I think that was my schooling. When you do. When you have to learn so much music, it develops your ear. And what what ended up happening was uh, I would put bands together, and no matter what contacts you make, everybody's like, yeah, it's cool, man, but it's not what we're looking for. So in 97, I moved to L.A., and uh, I had a band with my ex-wife, and she was the singer, and I was the guitar player, and we wrote, we wrote songs. We had a band called Formaldehyde Ride, and it was it was interesting. It was like a cool kind of quirky thing and um again nobody no takers so in 99 when i was working like four or five jobs to pay the rent and i was one of the jobs i was doing was painting scott humphrey's garage in uh when he was doing when he was producing methods of mayhem Mm -hmm. so that was the tommy lee record so and i was a motley crew fan so now i'm meeting tommy lee and they need a guitar player for this record but i'm painting the garage and then they go hey why don't you come play guitar on this and I ended up playing a lot of guitar on that record. Methods really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So yeah. you went from painting Tommy Lee's garage to being on his well, record. Well, Scott's garage. Scott's garage, who was yeah. the producer. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. But and then that snowballed because the next record that Scott was going to do was the follow-up to Hellbilly Deluxe with uh, Rob Zombie. Zombie. It was a Sinister Urge. So Rob just literally came up and said, hey, I love what you're doing on Tommy's record. You want to play on my next record with Scott? And I'm like, sure. And then I'm doing that. And and then Rob, I didn't know that. So you were on the Zombie Sinister Urge. Yeah, you playing on that. Yeah, 
And then Rob was like, hey, did Alice call you? And I'm like, Alice who? And he's like, Alice Cooper. I'm like, right, Alice is going to call me. Because I was a huge Alice Cooper fan when I was a kid. And he goes, yeah, we were playing golf last week, and I, I gave him your number. So I, he didn't call me, but Bob Marlette was producing Brutal Planet. And he called me to go play on that. So I, I played on that. And then as that snowball was, was churning and rolling down the icy hill, there was another avenue of... Um, I had played on, before I moved to L.A., I played on Our Lady Peace's first record, but it was uh, just a solo, just come in and do a solo kind of thing. But it, uh, we created a, a relationship with the Rain Maida. So he started producing, and he was like, hey, I'm producing Avril Lavigne's new record. Do you want to come and play on that? So that was that, and then Kelly Clarkson. And then fast forward to working with Howard Benson on Daughtry, Kelly Clarkson, uh, Adam Lambert, and all these other things. So you become now you become this guy that's this the the go to guy getting the call to do all this session work and yeah. and this sort of gig, and that ties into a tremendous documentary which I have uh, recommended to my audience countless times. It's now on Netflix called Hired Gun. Yes, which you are in. Jason Hook was the one who uh, yeah. you told me. Actually, you're the one who told me about the film. Right, and that Hook was involved. Then I texted yeah. Jason, and but it, if you guys Jason haven't and seen I go that, way back. I didn't know. Well, Jason's Canadian as well yeah. and Jason did a lot of it's had a, a bit of a similar path it sounds like because yeah. he played with like Hillary Duff and did a lot of that pop stuff exactly. which is all documented in in the uh in the film if you've seen Hired Gun do, do you did you like that role then of, of being a guy that was getting all these calls and getting all this studio work was was that was that something you were comfortable the with or studio work was great because at, at the time um record budgets were still good if you're talking about the mid-2000s you know 2006 to 2008 where the budgets were grand and we were you know musicians were making really good money on sessions so i could make the i could write and record with my band and and you know the money coming in would foot that bill so that that was good in that sense. And then you get to meet a lot of people. Like this record that we just did with the drills, All there's nine of the drummers on, on, on all three volumes that I had worked on other people's records, like Kenny Aronoff and Abe Laboro Jr. and Matt Chamberlain. Those guys, we had worked together. So when it came down to time, we go, hey, man, I think I want to put a different drummer on every song. Are you down to come in and record? And everybody was like, yeah, man, we love working with you. No problem. So it was an incredible experience in that respect, too. When was the first time you played with Bon Jovi? When did you get the call to actually be play play in the band? 2011. I got the call. Actually, it was, you know, contracts and management for months while I learned a two-and-a-half-hour show and get ready to go. I was on hold. And then it was April 14th that John Bon Jovi actually called and said, Hey, so uh, I want to fly to you. Fly you to New York and do a couple of days of rehearsals and put you on hold for May. And then uh, when I flew to New York, uh, Richie went into rehab the same day. So they're like, well, you're not on hold anymore. You're mm. playing some gigs. And the first gig was Jazz Fest in New Orleans, 50,000 people. I was there last year. It's a huge event. It's yeah. a huge event. Yeah. So that was my first show. Wow. Yeah. Thrown right into the deep end of the pool there. Deep man. end, man. So you're coming in to basically be like an emergency guy, a backup guy to be there. Yeah. And then suddenly you get there, there's no Richie, and you're right in the fray at right that point. Right in the fray. So how much time rehearsal did you have before the first gig? I was, uh, he said two days, but they don't like rehearsing that much. So it was like three hours one day, and then, hey, let's run a show. 
on the next day, and we did that. And it was funny because it was almost like the other guys didn't know. Like, Tico was like, who is this guy? Why does he know all our stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and I love Tico, man. I think he's the coolest. I think he's there. one of the most underrated drummers. I he's mean, amazing. I love watching that guy play. Yeah. So, so you, um, so you commit. So, so, but you at that point you're in the Bon Jovi position as a sub, right? Yes. So you're just filling he, in, filling in while Richie's getting well. Yes. And then Richie did come back, right? Yes. And then when do you get the call that, hey, Phil, we're need you, we're going to need you a little bit more? Well, it's, it's funny because people think it was like a seamless th- happening, but it was 2013. It was exactly two years later. So I hadn't played a Bon Jovi note in two years. And I was at Trader Joe's and, and the, you know, the phone r- is ringing and it's John Bon Jovi. And, you know, when you're in Trader Joe's and John Bon Jovi's calling, you want to be hey, man, John Bon Jovi calling. Hey. <laughs> What's up, Johnny? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, he's like, hey, I, I, we might need you in Calgary tonight. And uh, I'm like, tonight, tonight? He's like, yes. And uh, we have a new record out. So if you could learn these three new songs. Oh I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You might not hear no a lot, but I'm, I'm going to spend the flight revisiting what I did last time because I haven't played a Bon Jovi song in two years. And he goes, okay, that's cool. Just have them ready for tomorrow. So with the flight and getting my gear, because I was working on the Scott Stapp solo record at the time with Howard Benson. So my guitars were at Howard Benson's studio. So I had to get my tech to go to Howard Benson's studio, pick up my guitars and meet me at the Signature Airport where I flew to Calgary. And there was plane funk, so the plane was late. So I didn't make that show, but which was great. Did Richie play that show? No. They played the show without Richie, without me. It, oh was, it was John and Bobby Bandera. Right, because he was in the band at the time, yeah. right? But, you know, and John said, you know what? Nobody wanted their money back, but I don't want to do that. I want to front a band. I don't want to have to play guitar all night. Right. And I go, yeah, I totally get it. So, um, so the next day it was Edmonton. And we had a lengthy sound check where John was like, what do you need to play? And I go, I need to run this, 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 and this. And then we ran it, and then I played that show that night. And then Richie didn't come back that time. So I did 90 shows that year. Wow. Yeah, wow. around 90 shows. And you, uh, singing is a big part of that gig. In addition really to playing the Sambora stuff, you've yeah. got to also sing because he was a big part of the vocal sound. Of course. So that, I'm sure, was a big part your voice a big part of the appeal of making that work because i've seen the band now since you've been in it and the vocal thing is a big part of it and i know you guys pride yourself on that yeah well yeah the vocals everybody sings great everybody plays great and um my saving grace was a teleprompter (laughs) because i had so much to remember uh you know uh material wise with with the guitar parts so if i had to memorize those lyrics as well that would have been i don't know the downfall. What's the what? What is the uh, Bon Jovi? What was the Bon Jovi audience reaction like to you being in that? I mean, Richie, very loved guy, obviously yes. the the right hand guy of John. You know, what was the audience reaction like when people started seeing this other guy up there who maybe they didn't know? Were were you were you welcomed by the audience, or were there some rough nights? Well, there was there was rough nights. You know, you still see you know people at first. People are holding up signs saying, "Where's Richie?" And you know when. John introduces me. Maybe there's a couple of booze and stuff like that. But it, it, I um, even in 2011 when I, 
it wasn't like a chess move. It seems like a chess move, but I, I tweeted, you know, I, I hate that media is saying that Phil X replaced Richie Sambora and Bon Jovi. I'm just helping the band out and RS will be back. And then the fans really like latched on like, wow, this guy's just being really cool and helping our favorite band out and he doesn't want Richie's job. And um, so a lot of them came around. Mm. You know, and there's still people, you know, there's still comments and like, I'm, there's always going to be comments, right? Like a lot of people are like, if you're a true Bon Jovi fan, then this isn't really Bon Jovi. And the real fans are like, you know what? You should be happy that the band's continuing to go forward with, you know, the the new lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like for you? Obviously, you weren't part, you weren't inducted with the band, you, no, but I you played it. Yeah. But you played the event. You still were out there with Richie coming back. So yes. you guys were both out there playing. Yeah. What was that night like for you? Um, it was it was amazing. It was, uh, I mean, I loved seeing the cars. <laughs> but I'm sitting at the table. And, you know, it's it's one of those things because I wasn't getting inducted, which I didn't expect to. Um, I'm glad that Hugh did. And it was great to meet Alec. And that was like uh, we rehearsed twice before. And that's when I met Richie. Mm-hmm. at a rehearsal for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he was cool he was fine you know we you know we uh, we laughed we m- played music which is uh, an amazing thing the music to me is like living on a prayer is music of my youth and I also th- I'm a fan I think it's one of the best rock and roll songs ever written mm-hmm. you know with the coolest modulation <laughs> ever modulated but it's uh it was a great time. It was a it was a really good uh, few days, you know. Phil has a, a a new record coming out with this band. We'll give you the backstory on this band and uh, when this record's coming out, when you can buy it, what he has cooking with this band. Uh, he's you're also getting Bon Jovi. You just rehearsed with Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi's going out again, right? Yes. You're, you're playing Israel. We we're we're starting in Russia, and then there's a bunch of uh, UK European shows, and then we end in Tel Aviv at the end of uh, June. Is this still an extension of this house is not for sale yes. sort of tour? Well, it's yes. been going for a long time, yeah, well, but not consistently. I, I noticed yeah. there's gaps and then play gaps. Well, they're shooting, you know, instead of going out and disappearing for months and months and months, you know, everybody has family. So they, they yeah. want to keep it between 25 to 40 shows a year. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's serving that purpose, but uh, it's, <clears throat> we're all happy. I'm happy to go out again. You know, and, then we're the doing, and then we're doing, uh, not this year, probably okay. next year, because we're actually working on a new record as well. For bon Jovi? Yeah. Oh, like wow. Like we, we started recording in, in March. Oh, in, wow. In uh, New Orleans. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Nashville. Oh, We were wow. in Nashville at a beautiful studio, Ocean Way, and we lay down beds for a record. And uh, that, that's my first time recording with the band from the ground up. So that was kind of cool. All right. Cool. That's good to hear. All right. With the remaining minute or two we have, let everybody know what's going on with the drills. Okay. So the record's out May 9th, which is Thursday. And then uh, we're playing at the Whiskey on Thursday. And we're playing Brick by Brick in San Diego on Friday. And then next week, we're at BLK Live in Phoenix on the 17th. On the 18th, we're at Vamped in Las Vegas. And on Sunday, we're at the Parish at House of Blues in uh, Anaheim. Oh, okay. I can't believe I just got out. That out, <laughs> and there's a VIP deal available. There's as well? a VIP deal if you go to, uh, I guess the easiest way. I tweeted it today, uh, the real Phil X, or you can go to my Instagram, which is at Phil X eleven eleven. 
Okay. And, and there's links there. Links there for that. Yeah. And then there will be another volume of this record coming. There's a volume coming out in the fall. Okay. And, and every that's song, done already? Yeah. Every, it's just uh, one song's mixed, another five have to be mixed, and then uh, there'll probably be a third volume. Well, my thanks to Phil X of Bon Jovi for joining me on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you, of course, most of all to all of you guys for checking out the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It is greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. As usual, you can hear it each and every Thursday with new episodes, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, Podcast One. Be sure to review and tell a friend. Appreciate you doing that. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Remember, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, at Eddie Trunk, eddietrunk.com, the official online home for all info and updates on everything I got going on. You guys have yourselves a great week, and I'll catch you again next Thursday for a new episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.